You're listening to the Sports by Fry podcast on today's episode. I'm recording a quick Fry's Fast Five on the weekend, looking at pretty interesting divisional round in the NFL playoffs, touching on some injury news in the AFL and the NBA, and I'm finally back producing some articles. I posted my uh, long-awaited MVP ladder, and uh, the next article I'm working on is my updated second take on what I think the All-Star rosters are going to look like. So I'll talk a little bit about the NBA All-Star rosters, plus the aforementioned NFL and AFL headlines. So without further ado, let's get into it. G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Bite Fry podcast. Hope you're having a great weekend. Hopefully you listen to the latest Sports Bite Fry podcast, the Fantasy Friday that I did yesterday. But I'm back today with a quick fast five before I dive headfirst into the Dallas Mavericks Los Angeles Lakers game to watch Luca and LeBron go head-to-head. I'm going to talk about those two in particular right near the end of this episode, but first topic I want to discuss is some injury news in the AFL. If you haven't heard, Lance Franklin has suffered a knee injury, and when you hear that, instantly you think the worst, but good news, it doesn't seem like it's too bad, and there's every chance that Buddy will still be able to even play in round one for the Swans. He's having a bit of a clean-up and a bit of a... uh, I think it's an arthroscope is the technical term for it, uh, which isn't great news for a veteran of the AFL. You'd rather see uh, Buddy fit and firing, which it looked like he was throughout most of the preseason, but he's going to miss the next couple of months at least after experiencing some discomfort in that knee. So hopefully he can step onto the field in round one for the Swans. be interesting to see how the next few seasons pan out for Lance Franklin. Last year when I did my big bold predictions, I said that 2019 or maybe even 2020 could be his swan song, pun intended, but uh, yeah, I do think that with three years still left on his deal, then uh, Buddy won't be retiring anytime soon, but he's only 56 goals off chalking up a pretty incredible milestone by kicking a 1,000, and the Swans, I don't really love their roster, and I can't really see them challenging for a flag in the next few years, so if that is the case, then there's every likelihood that if Buddy clocks up the 1,000-goal milestone, maybe in 2021. Even though he's contracted for another three seasons, then we could see him call time on his career before his contract runs up. Considering he's making over a million a year, though, don't be surprised if he hangs around until that does end. But, uh, yeah, either way, Buddy coming into the season a bit injured and a bit underdone probably draws a line through him from a fantasy perspective, and there's a lot of other risks coming with him if you want to draft him in your fantasy side as well. Turning my attention to the NFL playoffs. I'm going to, again, divide this into two sections. First batch of games we've got on Sunday morning, Australia time, Saturday night in the States. We'll see the 49ers clash with the Vikings and then the Ravens take on the Tennessee Titans. Starting with the NFC, the Niners and the Vikes. That'll be a very interesting game. And you could honestly make the case that the 49ers and the Vikings are the two most complete teams remaining in the NFL playoffs, at least in the NFC. You could probably throw uh, Baltimore into that mix, but I'm a big fan of the Vikings. I know that I didn't really give them a lot of a chance to take on New Orleans, but like I've said before, I predicted them to make the Super Bowl last year, and there's every chance that they can do that if they take care of business against San Fran. I can't see the Niners dropping this one at home, but again, Minnesota can definitely win this. The 
line at the moment has the 49ers minus seven, and I think it's worth taking the points. I don't think if the Vikings do lose, I don't think they'll get flogged by any means. So from a betting perspective, I would take the seven points and maybe even watch Minnesota get an upset W. I don't think there'll be an upset W in the second game on tomorrow when the Ravens take on the Titans. The Baltimore Ravens are nine and a half point favorites in this one, and I think this is where Tennessee's impressive season does end. The Ravens are just too good from top to bottom. Derek Henry should cause some trouble for the Ravens, but they've had a couple of weeks, well, one week at least to prepare for the Titans, but they've had a couple of weeks to prepare for whoever their opponent would be. A lot of their star players have been resting for a few, so a lot of those niggles and those small types of injuries are out of the way. So I think it's going to be tough to see Baltimore pulling the double-digit win, but that's where I'm siding. I think that they'll take care of business pretty handsomely against Tennessee. Third cab off the rank in today's Fast Five is Sunday night's NFL playoff games, or Monday morning from Australia. We've got the Chiefs taking on the Texans and the Packers taking on the Seahawks. Starting with Chiefs-Texans, when these guys met earlier in the season, we saw the Texans somewhat surprisingly take care of Kansas City, but... They didn't really do it the way you would think. They didn't dominate with Deshaun Watson. A lot of the running game fueled Houston's win last time. So it'll be interesting to see if they adopt a similar philosophy against Kansas City this time. You could argue that the Chiefs are the form team in the competition. Their defense has looked pretty impressive in the final month of the regular season. Obviously, they have the reigning MVP under center in Patrick Mahomes. So Kansas City will probably take care of business here. If the Texans are going to stand any chance, they'll need to obviously pound the rock and get to Sean Watson open with some play-action plays, and they really need to excel in the middle tier of the game. Kind of short passes, move the ball 8 yards, 9 yards, 12 yards, which can be done against Kansas City, but considering the Chiefs are, like the Ravens, 9.5 point favourites, I think that they can get the job done by double digits. I'd probably side with the Chiefs getting uh, covering the line over the Ravens, because I think this Chiefs-Texans game, if you look at both teams stereotypically, will be a bit more high scoring. So Texans have too many holes in their roster for me to see them getting a win here. But uh, I did pick Kansas City to go all the way to the Super Bowl. So if they can clash with Baltimore next week in a pretty mouth-watering uh, AFC championship, they might just do it. Last playoff game of the weekend, we'll see the Packers and Seahawks clash. And this is such a tough game to pick. I think both teams are capable of getting hot for a quarter or a half and really flipping the game script on its head. As it stands right now, Green Bay are four and a half point favorites at home, but I think this is where uh, I'm picking the upset. I'm backing Russell Wilson in to make a play late in the fourth quarter that will see Seattle walk out of Green Bay, uh, Lambeau Field with a win. Might be uh, stretching it a bit there because the Packers at Lambeau Field in the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers are obviously not an easy beat. And throughout the year, a lot of people have said that the Seahawks can't play in a normal game. All their games have some form of drama at a high level. So I think that the, the that narrative will continue. And yeah, I can see Russell Wilson and A-Rod having two pretty impressive games. But either way, from a betting standpoint, I'd back Seattle plus four and a half to at least keep it close, even if they do stumble against the Packers. But I wouldn't be surprised if they left Lambeau Field with a win and move into the NFC Championship game. Enough about the NFL, let me turn my attention now to some basketball. Fourth thing I want to talk about is a torn ligament in Joel Embiid's ham. And mainly at the larger standpoint, look a bit at the Philadelphia 76ers. I've discussed them multiple times on multiple podcasts already this year, but they're about to launch into a huge week, week and a half, two weeks, while Joel Embiid is sidelined. Like I said, he has a torn ligament in his finger and he had surgery on it 
earlier, I think it was yesterday or the day before, so he's going to be reevaluated in the near future. A couple of weeks looks like what he'll likely miss, and this is a huge fortnight for the Sixers. Currently, they're the fifth seed out in the East, and I think there's a pretty clear gap between the top six in the Eastern Conference and the rest of the other nine teams out there. At the moment, the Indiana Pacers are nine and a half games behind Milwaukee, and they're the sixth seed. Orlando is the seventh seed, but they're five games further back from the Pacers. The Brooklyn Nets are the other team sitting in the eighth slot. So right now, it's pretty important, well, it's going to be important, to try and secure a top two seed. Miami and Boston are fighting for that spot. Obviously, Milwaukee is in a little bit of a class of their own at the top of the conference. So if the playoffs started today, Philly not only wouldn't have one of those valuable top two spots, but they'd have to go on the road. They're currently the fifth seed with Toronto sitting at fourth. So I think it's going to be very important for the Sixers to not only try and secure home advantage, which they can push for in the second part of the year, but really not drop off the face of the earth. Like I said, this top six is very competitive, so their playoff seeding is going to matter, and obviously playoff matchups throughout the entire postseason do play a factor, but Ben Simmons has the star power capable to keep the 76ers afloat while Embiid is out, and like I've said all year, I think they still have a roster move or two to try and make, but they're pretty hamstrung financially, so I don't really know what that move could or will be, but either way, there's a very important fortnight coming up for Philly, because if they keep sliding, maybe into that sixth spot, then they're probably looking at going up against the likes of Boston on the road to start the first round, and then maybe clashing with the likes of Milwaukee or a Toronto, or maybe even Miami as well. So they've got some pretty beatable opponents in the next fortnight to end January the only real big names they take on and with their next game against excluding their next game against Dallas is the likes of the Lakers and the Raptors there's other teams in there like Golden State New York Chicago Indiana could be a tricky game so if Philly can stay above 500 in that stretch and maybe even try to better go for like 7 and 3 in their next couple of games without Joel Embiid, then they could hold into hold on to one of these uh, top four spots and get some of their playoff games at home. But uh, they got their work cut out for them, that's for sure. Last topic for today's Fast Five. I teased it at the top. I'm going to talk a little bit about the NBA All-Star rosters. I'm going to probably not going to be out by the time you're listening to this, but sometime tonight or over the weekend, you'll see my take two in predicting the All-Star rosters. Not a lot changed since the first uh, installment of the list. I shuffled around some of the starters and the reserves. In the East, I gave Kyrie Irving a start. Trey Young keeps getting love from the fans, and he'll probably make the All-Star roster, but I think with the amount of fan votes, and if he does come back within the week like he wants to, then Kyrie will probably bump him out of the rotation. So the starting lineups in both conferences, I think, are almost locked, but I'll talk a bit about the West soon. Uh, in the East reserves, I took out DeMontis Sabonis. I think I might be one of the only ones driving the Sabonis All-Star bandwagon. He's played great to start this season, but I can't really see anyone... Oh, who else could you take out of the list? At the moment, there's the likes of Trey Young, Brad Beal, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Zach Levine. Maybe you could make the argument that he doesn't deserve to be in there, but there's also dudes on my list, which you'll be able to read in the article, like Chris Middleton and Kyle Lowry, who didn't make the list, so they might even push Zach Levine out. The one dude who came in to the East All-Star Reserves and took Sabonis' spot was Bam Adebayo, who you could make the case has been Miami's best player so far this season. I'm a huge Bam fan, and I don't think there'll be a world where he doesn't maybe get pushed out for one of those other dudes like Middleton or Lowry, but uh, I'd be surprised if he misses out. 
In the Western Conference, the only change I made to the starting lineup, because I think there's four locks with Luka, James Harden, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, was I put Nikola Jokic in. He didn't even make my original 12-man ballot. Kind of as a bit of a penalty for the way that he played to start the year. But, uh, yep, I dumped uh, Kawhi Leonard from the starters and put Jokic in. His last month has been pretty unbelievable. He's putting up uh, MVP type of numbers and helping the Nuggets steer themselves back to a top-two seed in the Western Conference, so I've rewarded Jokic. I'm open to Kawhi maybe superseding Jokic and getting the start, and that probably appears like the most likely scenario, but uh, full credit to Jokic for his past fortnight to month stretch. Kawhi obviously leads off the reserves with a lot of the other popular names. Carl Anthony Towns is still in my reserves list, even though he hasn't played for a while, but I think when he does return, he's probably one of the oh, top eight best offensive players in the league, as much as you hate him on defense, and he could slip out, but I uh, did, instead of slipping him out, punish uh, Devin Booker for Phoenix's record and put Rudy Gobert in. Rudy Gobert, in my eyes, deserves this spot, probably over Donovan Mitchell, but mainly because of what he's done from a defensive standpoint for the Utah Jazz. Obviously, defensive-orientated players aren't what we want in the All-Star game, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve it. Guys like Al Horford, who's one who springs to mind, has made plenty of All-Star teams in the past without super-duper numbers and wowing people with 30 points a game. So Gobert deserves the nod. Devin Booker's probably the toughest omission out in the West. I really wanted to include Chris Paul, but again, there's only so many slots on the roster and guys like Brandon Ingram and again, Donovan Mitchell, I think probably just deserve it over CP3 and Devin Booker, but there's only about 10 days left for All-Star voting, so it'll be interesting to see how the coaches and players vote, and then who does make the uh, final 12-list squad on the west and east side of the bracket. And that's it. That's all i got for this episode. Thanks once again for tuning in. Hopefully you're having a good weekend. I'll be back probably Tuesday at this rate with another Fast Five or another podcast uh, based on some of the articles that I've got in the works. Make sure, speaking of articles, you visit sportsbyfry.com to keep up to date with the latest ones. Again, this All-Star one will be running. MVP one's up. I've got a couple of AFL pieces in the works as well, hopefully coming out next week. But uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, peace. Peace.